Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode on the Deals Journey Podcast. I'm stoked to have you guys back. It has been four months since I last uploaded an episode. Today's guest is a very special one. Her name is Madison and you may better know her as Shark Girl Madison on Instagram and she is a badass chick who is doing amazing things in the ocean world and I'm a big fan of her work and what she's doing to help give information around sharks and change your perspective on them and I think this is going to be a great one for any ocean lovers, surfers, young women who are looking to be inspired because she is a rock star. (laughs) I'm going to have a sip of coffee before I start. I'm quite nervous. (laughs) (laughs) oh goodness okay boom boom well thank you for jumping on today maddie no worries um big shout out to benny hall for getting us in contact and making this happen it's Mm -hmm. very exciting and this is you're actually in the first uh podcast in the temple house and it's our little makeshift studio so welcome Thank you. It's an honor to be the first guest in this wonderful little thing you got going on here. Yeah, it's, um, we'll obviously upload the video, but yeah, it's, uh, it's very makeshift and a uh, bit of fun. So I guess tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure. Um, I grew up here on the Gold Coast in Australia and I lived mm-hmm. in Byron on and off over the years. I grew up diving a lot and my number one focus was sharks. And then as I got a bit older, I started to see a lot of bad things happening to sharks, in particular on the Great Barrier Reef. So I got really involved in conservation and that kind of spiraled into where I am now. And I have involvement in like documentaries about sharks and traveling around the world, trying to fight some of the issues that they're facing and also local issues here in Australia that they're facing. So that's my focus now. Yeah. Wow. Like I know when I first saw your page, I was like, holy crap, like badass, like just going out, (laughs) swimming with the sharks, like straight up. So I guess like what sort of drove you to get into having such a strong passion for sharks? Were you, you know, a keen surfer, like ocean lover? Yeah. So actually, um, when I was a kid, I probably spent more time with sharks than other kids. I had like really crazy parents that raised me on a sailboat and then I got to go diving a lot and they were really like, felt like family to me. Like there were this one constant in my life. And this one thing that I looked forward to more than anything was just swimming with sharks. And I love them so much. And I think since I was a kid, they've just always resonated with me. And I've carried that through to my adult life. So as a kid, you know, you're swimming with this wild, crazy animal and everybody's telling you that's so dangerous. And how can your parents let you do that? And you know, a whole different side of the story. And it's like you having a big, scary dog that everybody thinks is scary, but that's your dog. You know, you know, it's not going to hurt you. So it was very much so like that. So I really built a strong relationship with these animals that I've carried through. And I'll just never, I've never known a time where I have not loved sharks. Yeah, wow. So tell us a little bit about growing up on a sailboat because that would be something out of this world that not a lot of people have experienced. Yeah, I was actually two years old. So like when I was one year old, my mom and dad dropped me off at my grandparents and they're like, we're going to go build a sailboat. 
and then came back and got me like a year later. What? <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. I love it. I love that story. Yeah. My grandparents are like, it's terrible. They left you. And I'm like, that's sick. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was such an infant. I don't quite remember, but I've seen like the, heard the stories and seen the videos. And we were on the sailboat traveling throughout the Great Barrier Reef. And I was a little baby and you fall asleep to the sounds of whales singing underwater against the hull of the boat. And I got to be on the reef as a kid. And it was really amazing. And then when we moved off the sailboat, boat and I lived on the Gold Coast my dad would still take me to be in the ocean every chance we could get so it really was like normal for me like I'm 26 years old now and I suck at riding a push bike I didn't learn till I was 19 because I just spent my life in the ocean so what age did you leave the sailboat to come back to the Gold Coast I think I was about five yeah well so you spent three years pretty much at sea yeah so that's like because I was reading this book and it's all about like subconscious mind so I guess you um experiencing the sharks um, at such a young age and you like sort of seeing your parents like being so friendly with them ingrained that they were just like another I guess species like the dog I guess with most humans yeah I definitely think so yeah I definitely think there's something subconscious in there with me and sharks from the past because my affinity with them the way I feel about them is really on a level I can't explain it's not like I just saw an animal and I was like that's cool it's like I recognize them underwater like I've known them for a lot longer than I have yeah, 100%. And so what was it like for you at school, I guess? It was weird. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling like it would have been a bit weird. Like just this girl who grew up on the sailboat. Like, Look, I'm still the weird one in the yeah. room. Like, but yeah, kids kids were um, super confused, I guess. And I went to like a real bougie private school on the Gold Coast. Which one? St. Hilda's. No way. Yeah. St. Hilda's. You went to TSS, right? No, I didn't go to TSS. I went to All Saints. Okay. Oh, just as bad. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm St. Hilda's girl and like, you know what that's like. So nobody around me Mm. had the same kind of morals and values or understanding of the ocean. So it was a bit weird. And then at the same time, people thought I was really cool because of it. So that was cool. (laughs) Yeah, wow. I couldn't even imagine like being around that girl's environment, especially like with what you were so passionate about it would have been quite tough i'm guessing it was really tough girls would be like oh you don't have a hotmail account do you even have a life and at this point i'd been to like five different countries diving with sharks and i was like yes i have a life (laughs) (laughs) but you know i was yeah different Mm. and did you go to uni no i actually left school in year nine i was like screw this i'm done Mm. and then i homeschooled and I dropped out at year 11 and started working with a local cinematographer here in Byron and started to learn to film underwater. So I always wanted to go to uni, but it just never happened. Yeah. Wow. And that's like your different way of learning. Like your way of learning is to just be around people, learn from the best, and then I guess go implement it, whatever it may be. I think a huge mistake people make is thinking they have to go to uni if they want to be passionate about a particular cause, especially in my industry, like in conservation society has not created a path for conservationists there's no course where you can learn it we're technically going against the system so there's no like university degree you can obtain for that so not everything is going to be something you can learn at school yeah isn't that fascinating so tell us a little bit about um i guess uh, being a shadow to a filmmaker in Byron. Who is that? Yeah, um, his name's David and he is an award-winning cinematographer here in Australia. So I wanted to learn everything that I could about cameras from him, which yeah. kind of ended up with me like 
washing the dishes at his place like twice a week. It was really funny. Yeah, it was full like Mr. Miyagi wax on, wax off situation. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, so, but with him, I got to dive and I did get to learn. He taught me how to use all the cameras. I had to be super patient. I had to learn all this stuff about cinematography that I otherwise didn't know. So that, that was great. That's what I wanted to spend my time doing and not at school. Yeah, isn't that funny? Like for me right now, like being in a house of all these individuals, I'm like the young apprentice and it's just like, whatever needs to be done i'll just like be adaptable and like get it done whatever it may be whether to cook you know whether to clean or whatever something like that so was it sort of similar in that aspect just being super adaptable was that like a skill that you think was super important yeah and you know if you're passionate about it you Mm. are your own teacher Mm. and that's the reality of it and especially with like occupations that involve creativity it's never good to be just in one square box of learning for that so it was good like that yeah awesome and now let's let's dive deep into how you sort of got into the deep diving with the sharks was that Mm -hmm. like with um what was his name again david um david it was actually first with my dad so the first time i scooted over the shark was my 12th birthday it was here in byron bay at julian rocks and from that on that point on it was my dad wanting to go around the world and wanting to find the biggest coolest sharks that we could swim with because that's what he wanted to do and i was his dive buddy so i got to tag along so we literally like we've been to the bahamas and fiji and mexico all before i was 20 years old just to swim with big sharks. So my dad really came from that like adventurous side and him wanting to do that. And it was me and me alone in my family that was like, I need to turn this into conservation. Wow. What does your dad like do? Like how did he get this sort of mindset of just being like, I want to find the baddest shark Dad's in the world. Dad's just a badass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dad's just a legend. But like, this is my dad, right? Yeah. Dad, can I go ride my like a push bike to the store. No, you're not allowed to ride a bicycle because cars are dangerous and someone's going to hit you. Dad, can I go do this? No, because humans are dangerous and I don't want you getting abducted. Dad, can I go swim with this tiger shark? Hells yeah, let's do it. Like that's my dad. And statistically, he's correct to have that mindset, you know, which is really crazy. Which I find so fascinating because I remember seeing this like meme and it was of a shark and it was just like how society portrays a shark and then like how, you know, shark actually is and like i experienced an awesome shark encounter like i think it was about four weeks ago with my mate saxon kent just off uh water goes Mm. and we saw this like shark i'll show you the video and um i don't know what type of shark it was but it was a decent sized one probably like two and a half meters Mm. and i was like frothing it because i was like (laughs) i really want to see a shark oh amazing yeah and then um you were surfing no, no. So we were just like snorkeling out Oh, there. wow. Yeah. So like we, I'll insert the clip, but essentially like my mate was paddling and then I was holding onto the leg rope. I had flippers and then I'd just search for like sea creatures and then just try and snap it. And he'd have like an underwater camera. Right. And then I'd tell him, let's stop like shark or turtle or something. And then we'd go swim under. It's a cool little uh, dynamic there. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I think... Um, I forgot what I was saying. It's all how you look at the situation. Like you're in more danger driving to the beach than you are getting in the water with mm. sharks around. But it, yeah, it's how you look at the situation. If you raised your whole life to be scared of sharks, then you're still going to be scared of sharks. Mm. But statistically, we're in far more danger every day in our day-to-day lives. And do you think like movies like Jaws and, you know, The Reef and 
I don't know if you've seen those movies, but have sort of portrayed sharks as like the absolute devil. Absolutely. Of the ocean. Absolutely. But you know, it's not like we loved them before those films. Sharks have always been terrifying to us. Yeah. Like, can you ever remember seeing something positive about sharks in the media as a kid? No. Nah. You remember your parents saying anything positive about sharks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we're, we're raised to be scared of them, which makes a lot of sense. They're scary. They attack people. And there's no point ignoring that. Like a big part of what I do is I want surfers to be safer in the water with sharks. So I want them to build up the knowledge they need to protect themselves from shark attacks. So what's your thoughts on like the shark lines and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, um, I'm actually in a new film that's coming out called Envoy Cull about the shark control program and about some of the things that Australia has done against sharks to protect people and all i'll say is this is that the government is doing totally ineffective things to keep us Mm. safe and the only person that's going to protect you from a shark is yourself so you should absolutely become learned and knowledgeable about the potential dangers of being around sharks because no matter what you are going to encounter them if you go to the beach in australia yeah i remember like i think it was a couple years back when there was like heaps of shark attacks coming i think it was at balana Mm -hmm. and I, I don't know if it was just Chinese whispers, but I remember hearing that there was like a whale carcass. They like basically put it in the sand and then it slowly rode out, which mm-hmm. was what was drawing all the sharks mm-hmm. to, the, to the ocean. Don't know if that was true or not. <laughs> there's usually always a factor. So whenever there's shark attacks, there's all, if you look into it, there's always something that you're like, oh, that's why they're there. That caused it. So it's not like sharks just show up and they're like, let's eat some humans today. There's always something that brings them around or has them in the area. And if people actually like become educated about what those things could be, um, then they, they learn more about like when it's safe and when it's not safe to get in the water. Yeah. Amazing. The curtain just uh, fell off. The curtain <laughs> dropped. Yeah, that's a good sign. <laughs> it's, like... it's like, drop the mic. Podcast is over. Let's go. We already um, broke your studio. Yeah. Oh. Don't worry. It's a makeshift one. Is that sticky tape? Yeah. You're such tape. a lad. Yeah. It's um, it's a complete makeshift one. <laughs> such a house of boys. This is so adorable. There's sticky tape holding this curtain up, everybody. Yeah, there, is, there is sticky tape. I didn't want to let everyone know, but I guess... Uh, it's uh, sort of done it itself. But um, I really wanted to talk about that video that you did in Florida. I thought that was absolutely amazing. And it showed a lot of truth into something that we sort of just, I guess, blindly purchase and blindly like very oblivious to. Mm-hmm. So I'd just love to um, talk about that and what motivated you to do that. So all around the world, people eat sharks. Australia is actually one of the places that we eat a lot of shark. It's called flake. Or if you go to a fish and chip shop and you buy fish and chips and it doesn't specify what species it is, it's shark. A lot of shark meat gets traded here in Australia. And with that in mind, I thought to myself, but shark meat's really dangerous because it has a high level of mercury in it. So mercury is naturally occurring in the ocean and naturally occurring in sharks. So it's just something they have in their body. But as humans, mercury is really bad for us. So when we eat big fish like a tuna, billfish, swordfish, and sharks, because they're big old fish, they have so much mercury, it's really bad for us. So I thought to myself, okay, I can't really get people to care about the sharks dying, but what if I, you know, show them how dangerous the meat is? So when I was young, I bought a bunch of samples of shark meat from places like Woolworths and fish and chip shops in Australia. 
and I had it tested for mercury at a lab and 80% of the samples came back way over the safe limits for human consumption. And then I did the same thing in Florida. And what I found was basically more high levels in the shark meat. So the kind of mercury levels we're talking about are high enough to, for example, cause a spontaneous abortion if you're pregnant and you go and eat the shark meat. That's how dangerous mercury is. So it's just really, really high levels in shark that's getting sold to the everyday person at these supermarkets and they're not doing anything about it. So it was a real eye-opener for me. And then when I made that little film in Florida, it was really interesting because I never argued that shark is unsustainable and I never argued that you can't fish them sustainably. I argued that we shouldn't be because it's bad for people. And that was never addressed by the FDA, by any of the organizations in control of health or by the supermarket chain itself, Publix, that's selling it. Yeah, wow. Because I remember watching it and I, I remember seeing that like, I think the FDA, like what they said was appropriate for... Um, mercury levels was like 0.4 and I'm pretty sure it was like four times the amount. And if you had like three pieces of flake, you'd basically poison your whole body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It puts you over the maximum amount that you can have before it starts to become lethal if you eat three pieces. And this is the other fascinating thing about mercury. Usually with toxins, you know, we all know it. We've all been hungover. And then we're sick for the next couple of days. But with mercury, once you eat that piece of fish, that stays in your body. So if you eat three pieces, it doesn't have to be within a week. It can be over an entire year. So imagine getting fish and chips three times. And after an entire year, you're at the minimum safe level of mercury. It's going to start affecting your body, especially if you are a young child and you have a small immune system to deal with it. And if you're pregnant or planning to become pregnant, it's super dangerous. Yeah, it's, it's something that definitely needs to be spoken more about. And I reckon it's awesome what you've done with that video. And it definitely gave me a lot more understanding about that. And are you like vegan or vego? Yeah, I'm vegetarian. I was yeah. vegan for a really long time. And unfortunately, traveling, I couldn't really sustain it. Mm. Um, and so I went vegetarian. And yeah, being vegan was definitely one of the best choices I ever made. It was yeah. such a great way to live. Yeah, you just felt clean and yeah, good. Yeah, and like I always say to people, if I could hunt, I'd eat meat, but I'd, I'd be a shitty hunter because I wouldn't be able to kill anything, <laughs> you know, but like taking responsibility for it is a different thing. That yeah. would be a different thing, but we can't do that in this society, so why would we support something we don't know about? And we all often make the mistake of thinking that people are trying to keep our best interests in heart and that we'll never get sold anything that's like toxic, but we do, and the shark meat proved that. Mm. yeah i think there's something special about like connecting with your food like if you were to eat a type of meat or something you actually going out there and hunting it yourself mm -hmm. i think that's a very like spiritual sort of way of eating your food mm -hmm. and i think like if you if you're gonna eat meat like i don't know i, I like fish in some some aspects but like obviously now watching your videos and stuff like that i think i've definitely like reconsidered like if i would ever have flake in yeah just in just the amounts of like mercury and i had another friend jason gilbert he's in lennox and he suffered mercury poisoning and like i you just you're just not educated on that aspect and i think like having yourself on and having people talk about it it just 
creates that awareness that needs to be had. Yeah, it really does because people are unsuspecting and they're buying this without knowing it and feeding it to their kids. And even if you hate sharks with a passion, this is about your health now. And the fact that people hate sharks means that supermarkets are getting away with selling them and not addressing how dangerous it is. So definitely keep it in mind to protect yourselves and your children. Yeah. So Big Benny Boy is the one who introduced us. Can you tell us a little bit about Project H-I-U. Is it yeah. Project H-I-U? It's okay. Ben's been helping me out for like a year now and he still can't pronounce it. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's I'm Project not... Hiu. Hiu. So Hiu is the Indonesian word for shark. Okay. So Project Shark. A lot of thought went into that name. Um, <laughs> Project Hiu is something that just came into my life fully randomly. So it's a project that I run in Indonesia that takes up most of my time now where we actually take shark fishermen and the boats they use to shark fish and we give them jobs in tourism and employ them to do something other than shark fishing, which means that they don't kill any sharks and they make better money and they're safer. So essentially like instead of literally just cutting all their jobs and being like, hey, you guys are not allowed to fish there anymore, you're actually replacing the jobs. So I think that's amazing because most people i guess who go into that role are just like not thinking about the effects that it has on the other person they're just like very tunnel vision yep but for you i guess did you like see that hey these people have got a livelihood and they got to feed their families mm-hmm. i remember watching the video of you actually like going into the i think the fisherman's place and he'd never like sort of had anyone over Mm -hmm. apart from like his obviously little group yeah tourists had never been in there it was it was unreal i remember when i first went to this fishing village and i had literally been told not to go there because they'll like slit your throat and they're terrible people and next minute i'm sitting in his kitchen and they're making me food and like you know it's that everybody's so lovely and everybody's like oh madison madison's back and it's they're so accepting and I just had this moment when I was sitting there where I'm like Jesus why did it take me so long to just sit down and talk to my enemies you know it's as everybody in conservation approaches a situation where the person doing the wrong thing is the wrong person and Project Hiu is unique in the sense that we're working with them and basically the way I look at it is that we're versing a huge culture in China selling shark fins. We're versing people making a lot of money, corporations making a lot of money. And what we've done is we've managed to stand in between the men that are fishing sharks and the men that are exploiting them. And we've managed to be like, no, you're not going to do this anymore. We're going to take them and we're going to do something better with them. And they're going to make more money and we're going to protect them from you exploiting them for shark fins. So we're saving sharks and people. So it's just the ultimate combo. Yeah. That's amazing. And Benny, he does all the sort of operation side and you sort of do the, the face of it and promotion side. Is that how it works? Or? So it's always been a big philosophy of mine that in conservation or whatever you're passionate about, you got to use your skills. And Ben's great at business stuff. So Ben's really come in and helped uh, kind of monopolize the way that we can make the most impact with what we have and what we're doing the way we use donations the way that we get people on board so he's helped with all that side of things and my side's more like maintaining the relationships with the fishermen you know the sharky stuff like figuring out the trade in which the fins are going and how we're going to infiltrate that trade and really on the grounds kite stuff so it's a really good combination and i'm really amazed with how well it's gone so far i never anticipated that it would take off this much yeah and what's what's like the next step i guess for you to create the impact that you want to create whatever it may be 
Um, f- like obviously COVID has slowed down a lot of stuff. Yeah. It's COVID. crazy. Um, so it's been a nice extended holiday for me. And for me, the next big impact I want to make is following the shark fins after they get sold from our fishermen and figuring out exactly where they end up. And the thing is these fishermen, five of them went to sea for two weeks to fish sharks and I went with them. And in that two weeks, they made 600 Australian dollars to split amongst the five of them. And they still owe $900 on their boat. So that's how much they get paid. And from that trip, they sold about 20 large sharks and one fin of one of those sharks will go for a thousand Australian dollars a caddy which is like 500 or 600 grams. I can't quite remember. So the markup from what they're doing to when it ends up in Hong Kong is insane. And I want to expose and highlight that and get all those numbers and then tell the fishermen how much they're getting ripped off. Hell yeah. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so you're trying to track like that in-between period of like mm-hmm. the fishermen getting that tail and then that going to hong kong Mm -hmm. you're just trying to find out that little misleading yeah so that's when it gets dark the fishermen do everything in the open but after that they take the fins to a buyer's house and he dries them and then he sells them to a factory and then they export them to here and then they're exported to here and then they're distributed to wholesalers who distribute them to restaurants so throughout that whole chain you have something that's given the fishermen probably twenty dollars that ends up for a thousand dollars far out that's shocking it's exploitation of lesser developed nations to support this trade and it really is our duty as people with the ability to travel with the privilege to travel and the privilege to be involved in conservation because we have the money and time to to kind of put money and time into situations like that yeah yeah it's it's definitely something that's got to be at the forefront for what obviously you're doing and all that aspects so what like what do you do on a day-to-day basis i guess a lot of it just involves right now sitting at my computer (laughs) researching figuring out making contacts figuring out next steps and then when we're in the field it all gets quite real um like in china we i found an address in indonesia that i then followed all the way to china through invoices and then had to go to china and had to look at these fins and and was walking down the streets of Hong Kong and being told by my friend who was with me that I can't go into this warehouse because it's triad gang owned and then this one's owned by this and really just following the trade. So it depends on the day, but right now everything we do in every spare minute of the day is aimed at at improving these projects, raising awareness and figuring out what our next steps are. Yeah, okay. And if anyone's listening out there and and they could help in some possible way, what would be a way that they could help? There's lots of ways you can help. If you have a particular skill set, like Ben with his business mind, and you think that you can help me, that would be big. Um, I need people with skills in filming to come help me. I need Mm -hmm. people with skills in marketing or grant writing. And the other real simple thing to do is support us by purchasing something from our website or making a donation or just sharing a film and helping raise that awareness. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, And like lastly, what what would be some pieces of advice you'd give to sort of any... Uh, I guess young people out there who are you know sort of bit second guessing their dream or not too sure of if they're fitting in Mm -hmm. anything like that what would be you know something you wish you knew when you were like 18 or oh if I could go back and tell my 18 year old self anything yeah it would just be as long as your heart's in the right place and you do things for the right reasons 
Mm. Don't panic. It's all going to work out. Because in reality, like there's been times where it's just been like the universe definitely has my back today. And it's been because of been coming from a really real place of what I want to do and how I want to do it. And I think that consistency and patience and humility are the most important things that you can have. It's a really big process. Like I've been doing this since I was 14 and I'm only just kind of like finding my feet in conservation and how to do it effectively. So just be patient, keep working at it understand the need for sacrifices and don't always listen to what people are going to tell you. I was surrounded by people who were like, you need to go to university and you need to get a degree in marine biology. And now I have people who are halfway through marine biology coming on my trips in Indonesia, wanting to do what I do. So maybe that is the right step for you, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Many times you're going to have to create your own path if there's something in particular that you want to do. Boom. That's mic drop right there. That was awesome. Well, it was great having you on and just sort of chatting about like what you do. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, you can ask me a question. <laughs> ask me a question. You surf? Yeah, I do surf. How do you feel about sharks? See, it's interesting. I've always been very curious about them. Like I know with, I remember probably about like 14 is when I like first saw a shark out there. And it's interesting. I remember the moment with all my mates all my mates like freaking out like going in but i'm almost got this like sudden urge of like oh like this is exciting like i've always been a bit of a adrenaline person mm-hmm. so that kind of aspect sort of excited me and then i think throughout like my adolescent ages like up to like 18 19 didn't really have that strong relationship. But then I guess the past seven months, I've become a lot more connected with nature, obviously moving to Byron and seeing how um, how important it really is. I guess my relationship with sharks is just like, I'm deeply fascinated by them. Mm. And that's another thing is like, I reckon if you can change your mindset around them, because I think there's such a stigma with surfing, like... Any surfers, it's just like their number... If you were to ask them their number one fear, it's getting eaten by a shark. 100%. Yeah. Like every single day of the week. And especially around here in like northern New South Wales, like it, it's known as like the epicenter of like shark attacks. And you get a lot of conservationists that are like, well, sharks are really important to the ecosystem and you know the risks and blah, blah, blah. And I get that. I really do. But to all those surfers and people like that, I just want to say... You have every right to be scared. You guys interact with sharks more than people like me who go and seek them out to do. And you don't get to make eye contact. It's a very different, very threatening situation. And I think that surfers have a lot of respect for the ocean in that sense. But I think that it is also like a duty for them to kind of learn about sharks and that could make them feel a lot better. And there are resources out there. Like I have a surfing guide for sharks that people can read. And that'll, yeah, it'll tell you. Um, I'll send you the link to it and it'll tell you basically if you go to the beach and you look, it'll tell you what to look for and what could potentially increase the chances of negatively encountering a shark. And I think things like that you have to look out for, but surfers need to acknowledge that they are involved in a dangerous activity and that they have every right to be scared and to protect themselves. Yeah. I think like one of the major signs is like the classic, if you see a bait ball, you see some like birds going in, Mm -hmm. there's probably a bigger 
fish chasing that and there's probably another bigger fish and then there's probably a shark. Mm-hmm. Is that like sort of the basis yeah. of it? Yeah, and then like what's the water clarity? Has it been raining recently? Is there a huge swell kicking up all the nutrients in the water that are bringing the fish around that are then bringing the bull sharks around? Has the fresh water flushed them out of the river? What's the water temperature? What kind of sharks thrive in this water temperature? Is there a whale carcass nearby? What time of the day is it? Is there a seal colony nearby? All those little things that could mean the difference between life and death. Yeah, I, I find that really interesting. Could we touch on that? Like mm-hmm. what time of day? Yeah. Like, is, that, is that dawn slash dusk? Is that actually a thing? Like? Yeah. So yeah. let's look at our little friend, the great white. They have that dark top and that white belly. And the reason they have that is because if you're a seal and you look up at the sky and there's a great white above you, the belly blends in with the sky. But if you're on the surface and you look down, the top of a great white blends in with the bottom. And they know that dusk and dawn, these low light situations, they have the upper hand to attack because their ambush works even better. Now, sharks are ambush predators. So they only want to attack things that aren't looking at them or don't know they're there. And that's one of the reasons I have a giant pair of eyes spray painted on the bottom of my surfboard. Really? Yeah. So sharks think I'm always looking at them. No way. Yeah. And that's something I encourage people to do. Get a pair of eyes on the bottom of the board. Yeah. I'm going to do that. It's great. That sounds amazing. Yeah. So, okay. So that sort of ticks that one off. What's another little one? Um, so something that's really important to look out for before you're getting in the water is human activity around the area. Mm. Believe it or not, there's a lot of shark attacks that correlate with the movements of live export ships in Western Australia, as an example. So the boats that carry cattle and sheep offshore for live export to places like Kuwait and the Red Sea, they have been known to attract sharks and sharks follow them. So anything from a small fishing trawler to a giant live export ship, if there's animal agriculture around, that could very, very, very much so be chumming for sharks and bring them closer to shore. Wow. So that's, is that why there's probably so many shark attacks in WA? It's definitely one of the reasons. It's actually a film I'm working on at the moment. Really? Mm -hmm. That's going to be fascinating because I know like I've heard stories of mates how like their, their fathers have literally like seen crazy experiences like where once, remember one of my mates was talking about how one of his mates was climbing up this rock, goes to look back and the guy who pushed him up has been taken, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's, it's crazy stuff over there. And like sharks aren't like dolphins. And the thing we have to remember about them, which I do love about them, is that they're a little bit dumb. They're very instinctual. (laughs) You know, they're very like basic. So when there's food, they're going to follow that. That's what they're trained to do. They're trained to pick up on weak, sick, injured animals in the ecosystem. They don't hunt healthy things. They're there to keep it clean. So any situation where they can be scavengers is a situation that they're going to go for. Also, I've got another question. Mm -hmm. Um... I've got this mentality that if I see a dolphin, I think the dolphin's protecting me from a shark. Does that work at all? I'm scared of dolphins. I think they're way scarier. Really? Yeah. They like break people's ribs and they're really smart and they knock people off boards and they scare me. I saw one at Kira the other day when I was surfing and I freaked out a little bit. but i'm weird so not always because sharks and hunt uh, sharks and dolphins actually hunt together a lot of the time as well and you have (laughs) dolphins are a good thing to watch because if you see dolphins be quite on edge for example protecting their young or leaving the surface to go to the bottom or doing some kind of strategy that's a bit odd it's usually because there's a big shark in the area and they're protecting themselves so they're a good animal to watch to kind of gauge what's going on around them 
Okay, so let's say a dolphin jumps straight up in the air. Does that mean there's probably a shark around? I would piss myself. Um, <laughs> not necessarily. No. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. I mean, my biggest piece of advice for sure to any surfers yeah. is to trust your gut. Mm, your gut's always right, isn't it? Yes, especially with sharks because sharks are built by evolution to basically be scary. Yeah, the apex predators. To intimidate. That's their job. Mm. And that's how they create the structure of an ecosystem by intimidation. So you're trained to pick up on that. And that's our basically survival mechanism. So trust your gut. If it doesn't feel right and it feels sharky, it probably is. Get out of the water and surf somewhere else. Mm. Okay. And what has been like one of your most, I guess, magical, most beautiful, euphoric moments like <laughs> with a shark that just like, Excited. Like I see you right now. You're oh my so goodness, <laughs> there's so many. Um, it's it's been a really long time since I got beautiful moments in the water with sharks, which is kind of sad. But mm. there's always one that I remember very clearly where I was fifteen at the time. Yeah. I was diving with one other person. We were feeding a bunch of sharks. This was in the Bahamas, and there was two giant tiger sharks just hanging around us, and they were just doing circles and they were just coming in to look at the food, and then suddenly everything disappeared. And you know that when you're diving with two big tiger sharks and even they piss off, you're like, oh shit, what Like, what scared these sharks away, right? And then at the corner of my eye in the middle of the water column, what I think at first is a whale, it's that big, a great hammerhead comes swimming through and its head was as wide as I am tall. It was the biggest animal I have ever seen underwater in my life. And it just swam right past, didn't even stop, didn't pay any attention. I was just like, like watching this creature, this giant creature in awe. And it just kept swimming. And that was one of the most magical moments ever. That sounds amazing. Like I just visualized that and I just like saw this huge hammerhead just like going past you. It'd be a spectacle that you could just not pay for. It's just like an absolute experience. Yeah. And it's just, like there's giant sharks out there in our ocean mm. and they really need us to care about them because they're disappearing and they're not out to kill us and they're not angry and they're not bloodthirsty and they don't want to kill humans. They're just doing their thing. And to think that a giant animal like that is getting mistreated and getting fished for recreation is a really sad thing. Mm. Yeah, well, that leads me to the last bit. What do you reckon the... Do you reckon there's a possibility of going out to Julian Rocks and swimming with sharks there? Like in the aspect of like at the current times, do you reckon you can do that and swim from like water goes to Julian Rocks? One of my mates, he's like, you got to ask that. <laughs> I wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, of course you can do it, but do you know the risks? Are you going to be able to look at the shark? You know, when are you going to do this? What's the water clarity? What's in the area at the time? Do yeah. you want to risk it? People, you know, swim around there all the time. But mm. like personally, I like taking a boat out there. <laughs> but if he tries, just um, maybe let me know first. <laughs> yeah, we'll get you on the beach making sure, checking Checking the signals, checking if get the drone down. shot, you know. Get the drone shot, we'll get my mate to get the drone, <laughs> make sure it's all sweet and we'll swim across. I mean you could, you definitely could, but Do I don't know that I would. That? Yeah. I, I mean, I personally got lost on a dive once and I ended up halfway between the lighthouse and the rock. And that was really spooky. Um, where did you end up? 
like halfway between the lighthouse and Julian Rocks. So just in the middle there. So I got halfway. Shit. Yeah, the current swept me away. Two ocean kayakers had to tell the boat where I was and I got in a lot of trouble that day. It was really funny. Um, I get lost on dives really easily. But yeah, that's a huge body of water. And think about it. This is the most easterly point of Australia. And great white sharks migrate north and south of Australia. And where do they come the closest to shore when they're doing their migration? To the most easterly pointy part of Australia. So... We're very lucky to be in this area because we get that wilderness, but with that comes a little bit of a responsibility. Yeah, my friend who asked has not been in the ocean that much, hence uh, why he thought he was invincible, but <laughs> I think you just shut him down for really good there. Yeah, I wouldn't. <laughs> if you'd known what we've seen at Julian Rocks, I wouldn't. What are, what's the scariest thing you've seen at Julian? Well, not scariest, but like... The scariest is one grumpy old turtle out there that scares the crap out of me, but that's not it. It's, um, I have seen great whites out there. How big? Big. But they're just cruising. They're just cruising? Yeah. It's, it's winter. They're there all the mm. time. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's going to happen one day. I'm going to be out there with shark girl medicine, just swimming with sharks. It's going to be a good time. <laughs> yeah, we totally can. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for jumping on and... Uh, coming down to the, the new podcast studio just in uh, Byron Bay. As you can see, it's uh, a bit of makeshift. The curtain, <laughs> the curtain fell down mid-podcast. The curtain. But, but that's all right. And um, yeah, really appreciate you making some time. I love what you're doing. Keep Thank doing you. it. And it's, uh, it's very inspiring. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. You. And I really hope you guys got something from it. And if you did, uh, please leave a little review on Apple podcast because that's how we get things going we boost it up and tune in next week as I have a very special guest and it's the part of a new series with the Temple Brothers so stay tuned and a big love to you all for jumping back on board with the Dill's Journey podcast big love over and out